0: Hi, I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kirkegaard and thanks to your malt mates at Cry Malt, this is Beer is a Conversation. Beer is a Conversation is our weekly sit down with some of the people who make the beer industry the interesting and dynamic thing that it is. And through these conversations we dig a little deeper into the stories behind the business of beer and brewing. And this week I chat with Bridge Road Brewers founder Ben Krause. Last week I was in Nuremberg to check out the mother of all brewing trade shows, BrauBevial, And while I was there I ran into Ben, who is currently a few months into a 12 month hiatus from the brewery which he and his family are spending in his partner's native Austria. I was interested to learn how Ben, who has been very central to Bridge Road's brand, vision and personality, set the business up in the way that allowed him to step away from it so completely. We discussed the reasons for taking a break from the business and whether the break from the day-to-day hubbub of the beer world has given him a new perspective on the Australian industry. I also learned what beers he has been drinking in Austria. It's a fun chat with someone who has been an enduring guest on the podcast in the past and I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. I'm sitting here at Brow Bavial in Nuremberg, and this is one of the chats that falls under the heading of the people you see. Ben Krause, welcome to Beer is a Conversation. Thanks for sitting with me. It's funny, as much as we can throw off about social media, whenever I travel to a, a, a beer event, I always just have tagged that I'm going somewhere, and it just flushes out a lot of the people who are also going to be there. But it was a bit of a surprise, you're six months into your sabbatical from your... Brewery in uh, Beechworth?
1: July, August, September, October, yeah, four or five months into into that. It's gone quickly. Tell us a little bit about the, the thinking of it
0: because you've only recently celebrated I think 15 years of uh, Bridge Road Brewers and you, you announced you wanted to take 12 months and
1: head off to Austria. Tell, tell us about you know what that was all about. Yeah. The. The, it, it was no surprise decision for us we've sort of been working on that plan we had a five-year plan in place to, to get a year away Maria's from um, a partners from Austria um, and we have three kids and they haven't spent much time getting to know their Austrian heritage or their cousins or grandparents aunts and uncles so um, five years ago we set about planning to set up the business and invest in in um, a team that that could do things um better better than we can probably um you know and and step away from the business for a year and and let those people do their thing and still watch from afar Um, yeah so that all happened in july this this year and um, we'll be staying in austria until the end of july 2020.
0: you make it sound very very simple but in, in in the craft beer space even a brewery that's got the level of business maturity that you guys have got. You know, you, you've, I think you're, the last time we spoke, you were crossing over the million-liter mark. You're a very well-established brand. Um, it, it, it's not easy to be a very heavily invested founder in, in, in a business and just to say, well, look, I'll get people in to run things and then head off overseas for you.
1: Yeah, I guess that I, I, st- I still do have my finger in the pie and, and know what's going on, but day-to-day, you know, the guys doing their own thing. Um, if there's a big decision, generally, they'll they'll let me know that they're making it and, and ask if it's really big. They're going to ask for my input. Um, sometimes I might give input when I'm not invited, um, but yeah, de- definitely, it's sort of that having the business for 15 years, initially working a lot um, you know, every day of the week for a few years and years and then slowly stepping away from different aspects of the business so no longer work behind the bars. Yeah, the first step was probably not working weekends. Um, I used to take half a Tuesday off and then I took a full Tuesday off and then uh, we we got in Donald Mace who's CEO now, Um, sort of first move stepped in to make sure I had weekends off for family life and kids once they were school age then weekends were important. Um, So sort of a progression from there. And then getting in people to be responsible for certain areas of the business and, and not reliant upon. My input for it or my decision making for it. So, uh, whether it be the production guys being able to to stand on their own feet or marketing or sales. um, And I think it it has been a a positive step in doing that for me and for the business itself. Like, I'm an expert of nothing, I do many things in in my life. So, it's really, really good to be able to get a a team and find the right people who who are passionate. It's the main thing. And then um, have skills in an area where maybe I have. Some knowledge, but but not uh, you know can't be an expert on all things. But even so, you handing over
0: th- th- there are skills involved in handing over work, bringing people into the business, training them about a philosophy so they have the tools that they can make decisions. And you're the sort of business person um, who has a very rigid set of principles about what you want your business to be and how you want it to operate and the change you want to make in the industry and the standards you hold yourself to. And that's a whole lot of value that needs to be communicated to people to come in so they can make decisions that you uh, can back them on.
1: Yeah, that's definitely right. So one of the first things that happened when Donald joined the business was documenting our culture. Um, And for me, it was foreign, he's, you know, well, you know, what's the culture? How would you describe the culture? And I didn't know how, you know, the vibe of the business is just how we do things and what we do and it wasn't something that, you know, wasn't trained in um, university learning how to lead teams or build a culture or have a culture, but everyone has a culture whether you like it or not. Um, so we set about, you know, uh, creating our values. We have really strong values. We, we put them on our packaging, as you know, um, talking about our values and from there, what's our working culture based on those values and, and when we make a decision, you know, how, how can we bring it back to to those values, does it align, you know, can an employee you can call us on, on an action we've taken and say, is that really bridge road? You know, we're doing that, that's that's not our, that's not part of our value system, and why would we do it? Or, yeah, I'm, I'm making this decision, because it lines up with all these things, you've got that on your on your backing. And sometimes it's hard to, to stick to your values, particularly in competitive marketplace, and where things are, you know, pressure's been put on price and production and, and deals and whatnot. Um, but we do have some rigid structure, and I think those values are why people work for us. They, they, it, it, to us, when we interview people, although they haven't seen our values document uh, that we have for around the place for employees, they they re- really know what our values are. It's communicated in what we do and our brand, and that's the reason they they say that they want to come and work for us. They're like, yeah, we like what we do. You do, we're into what you do, and and we want to align with that. And was
0: it purely the Discussions you'd had with Maria about introducing your children to their heritage, their, to, the, to their Australian heritage, or was it um, was there an element of you stepping back from the business because you don't want to burn out? You know, it, it gives you longevity in the business if that you've got a, a balance to your life.
1: Yeah, I think so. There's that that confidence of uh, being able to step away, so that's really future-proofing the brewery as well. Like actually taking ourselves out um, in a in a planned, staged approach. Is far better than taking ourselves out through burnout or injury or what, whatever it might be. There was an element as well of starting the business when I was 25, and um, don't get me wrong, enjoying working. I like working and I loved doing the business, but probably forgoing a few other things that I would have would have done in that age bracket, um, getting out and, and uh, enjoying the Alps a bit more. I sort of gave up on that sort of ski bum life that I had before I started the brewery. Um, So, having an opportunity to go back to the mountains that I like so much, and and particularly for Maria, that's her, you know, the mountains are her home, so having that opportunity and giving the kids the opportunity to to experience culture um, in in an Austrian way, learn the language when they're young, you know, there's a whole heap of factors that, both directly personally for me and for Maria and for the kids and for the business, so the whole whole range. And it's an awesome luxury to be able to take some time off and um, look at things from the other side and yeah, or, or not look at things at all, just, just enjoy, enjoy life outside the bubble of craft beer or beer in general.
0: It's an industry that is driven by passion and it is fueled by passion, but it also becomes a terrible minor of that same passion. And uh, you know, I, I see a lot of people who get into the industry very enthusiastic and you just, just feel the energy. But it, it, it's not too much time passes, and you start seeing the tiredness in their eyes, and they still love it. But th- there is a real balance that people need to find, and it's not a it's not a kind industry for that because it's not a an industry with lots of money washing around, that's you know loose change to to let you um, fund a like a, an easy lifestyle. Is that a fair observation?
1: Yeah, I think it is. Uh... But it, and there's different people that get into the industry for different reasons and have passions in different areas, be it beer or business or creating something. Um, it's definitely as with running any business is definitely a drain on things. But one thing for me that I think is is evident, you can also immerse yourself and work a lot and. I think it's kind of fine as long as you're happy with it. You know, I said before, I was really happy working seven days a week and doing something that I love doing. And often people would say, oh, you need to find a better work-life balance. You need to have more time off. And it's like, well, I enjoy doing this, so I don't feel like uh, I need more time off. Obviously, family changes that, but but otherwise, um, yeah, I think the, the biggest adjustment for people getting into the industry is just understanding that constantness of, um, social media pressure or attending event pressure um, you know or having the stress of your house being on the line for, for all the equipment the investment or, or or investing in staff and and having people rely on you for their wage and income and those sorts of things so um, but I don't you know that's not unique in the craft beer industry there's we're at an expo today and there's we were talking about it earlier. There's sales guys here that have to talk to talk all day long and talk to talk all night long and get up in the morning and pretend they're fresh and and start all over again, you know. It's no different for, for many walks of life.
0: And, and then in itself, that is, a I guess there are a lot of industries that are very social and involve a lot of going out and drinking, but the beer industry is a particular um, industry for that. And, uh, you know, an event like this or BrewCon or Good Beer Week, it is not just being out and talking and being away from home. There's a lot of drinking and that does take a toll. Um, and you've always struck me as somebody who manages that very well. You, know, you you are probably arguably one of the fitter people in the craft beer industry.
1: Yeah, I guess so. That I definitely uh, didn't manage that side of things when I was younger so well and nor did I feel the need to. Um, but I, there's... there's in my mind, there's not too much pressure amongst the professionals here. Even last night, when we go out, if someone decides they don't want to have a beer and they want to have a water instead, there's no, there's definitely no pressure on anyone, which is a really nice, nice way to be. Everyone's in the same boat, and you know sometimes it is too much. And if someone goes home at nine o'clock, it's, a, it's totally understandable. And see you tomorrow. I'd, I, don't feel there's, the industry hasn't got that that pressure or, or machoism around. You've got to stay and drink because I'm staying and drinking. Um. Yeah, so and for me, I've never had a problem. If I if I need to ghost, if I want to get up in the morning and do something, or I want to go home and do an email or whatever it is, um, I'll just I'll just go. I, you know, I I don't feel any any regret. Once uh, once I've had my fill and had enough, I find it easy to pull the pin. So, but I do see the pressure that some people might feel, particularly in the in the sales hosting force. You know, our sales team probably feel the pressure um, from Bridge Road ourselves. So I, I wouldn't want them to feel pressure into having to drink, if they enjoy going out and having a beer, that's great. Um, but I can see it definitely at a place like this where um, people are expected to host their, their customers and take them out. And and basically, the if you're the host, you're going home when they're going home. You're not going home before them. So as a customer of these guys, it's easy for me to say I'm going home. But if you're the host, you've got to wait until everyone else goes home. So.
0: Which brings us to... When I bumped into you yesterday, um, we had a bit of a chat about alcohol-free beers. Um, and so it's a nice little segue into that. I, um, I, the, the jury is very much out for me on whether there is a substantial market or the, the bullish market that a lot of people are saying. You you seem to think that there's probably a little bit more of a market than, than I do. Talk, talk us uh, a little bit through your thinking around alcohol-free beers.
1: Yeah, the alcohol-free beer area is really interesting it's something that uh, five years ago i would have laughed at the idea is you know i if i'm going to have a beer i, I enjoy some of the effect of alcohol and i'm honest about that that's that's why we enjoy a beer it doesn't mean i have to enjoy 10 i could enjoy a, a glass or two or three or whatever i want to enjoy um there, there's an off button for me it's, it's quite easy if i don't want to have any more but i have i have seen living in austria and particularly visiting over the years seeing uh alcohol-free beer come in and, and thinking to myself, I'm never going to buy that, what's the point? And then having some experiences this year where I might have been out riding for four hours and I'm still an hour from home and actually buying an alcohol-free beer because it's like, I, if I drink alcohol and ride down this mountain, I'll probably crash my bike and be injured, but I don't drink soft drink very often. Um, and so I sort of saw it fitting into that realm of um, a soft drink, but not sugary. And for me, it's far more satisfying than a soft drink or a glass of water if I want to have some subst- substance in what I was drinking. Um, so yeah, I see it not as a beer substitute, but as a soft drink substitute. I'm not sure if that's the right way to put it. Um, and certainly observing uh, the trends in Austria that I see and where I live, there's not much of all. Well, there is no craft beer market. It would be zero where I live. Um, but I'm guessing that between 20 and 30% of beer sales that I see during the summer whenever I go out and buy beer is alcohol-free beer. And it's a substantial trend. It's 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 very strong. It's either alcohol-free or often a Radler is, is the next step up, which is, I guess, Austria's mid-strength. Um, and then it's full-strength beer from there. So um, I, I do feel, if I watch the trends of other non-alcoholic beverages, that it would be a market that, that will grow. and. Grow in Australia in a little way that the the mid-strength beer has done. It's not going to be a huge market, but I think it will be more substantial. I think it, I think it's definitely going to be a thing.
0: The the thing that I can't get my head around is the places that have got a very strong low alcohol or zero alcohol beer culture don't have a mid-strength culture, and it was such a transition for Australian beer drinkers to accept. You know, light beer or mid-strength beer back in the 70s and 80s, um, but we, we, we did come to embrace it and we're one of the biggest consumers of mid-strength beer in the world. I just don't see that there is the same social pressure or imperative because people just, they, they if you didn't want a mid-strength beer, you drank something else and that's just one of the layers of cultural difference that I, I see applying to Australia potentially different to Aust- Austria.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, the the beer drinking culture here and and in Austria, it it, it would be, before alcohol-free beer came out, it would have been mind-blowing for people to, you know, they didn't even have a mid-strength or a light beer, so why on earth would you have an alcohol-free beer? The arguments are the same in my mind. I get it that mid-strength, you can still drink, you know, a certain amount of it and be able to drive. But there there will be people that don't want any alcohol in the system and there are people that probably can't have alcohol in their system for various reasons when they lost their license or or are younger drinkers or you know, there will be people that want zero alcohol but might also want to fit in or, or enjoy the flavor of a, a beverage that's bubbly and doesn't taste like water that isn't sweet. You know, there's there's all those things around it. So Stepping away from from that, tell us a little
0: bit about where you're living at the moment, and uh, you know what, what what your your lifestyle is now that you're not working
1: in uh, the the mountains of Beechworth. Yeah, I, uh, I'm living in a, a valley called Utztal, um, and the town that I live in is called Uitz, which Utztal is its Valley, and the town is pretty much one of the first towns in the the head of the valley. Um, yeah, it's a it's a beautiful place, massive mountains. Uh, solid local culture, a language that is UNESCO listed, um, so really strong dialect, uh, so much so the dialects are, are so prevalent and the, the people do, don't move around very, very much. So the, my wife's from a town five to six kilometres away. Her friends make fun of our kids because our kids have learned to speak the dialect of the town we live in and not her hometown from five or six kilometers away. So they can identify that those kids speak the language of the next town, not of our town. So it, it's amazing. We don't have anything. You can take a guess of what region someone's from in Australia, but you can't tell what what city or town they're from. You can you can try, but, but this is clear. They use different sounds, sometimes different words as well, um, in a town that's literally, you know, if you walked it wouldn't even take an hour to walk there you know um, so yeah that, that's really interesting in terms of the beer scene uh, I'll probably be right out of the craft beer scene just because there isn't there isn't one there um, so I'd go to the supermarket and buy what's available there's a, if I tried for half an hour there's a there's a, a supermarket that carries some craft brands from Austria and Brewdog would probably be the the other one that's prevalent um, and then I have to go to Innsbruck which is which is a you know a 40-minute trip to find a craft beer bar or a craft beer bottle shop um, so i've been really removed from that industry and 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 those styles of beer and overall beer quality is good but uh, it doesn't compare with where we are at the moment in nuremberg in my mind the 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 variety of beer is is really narrow it's very regional um, people don't change much the recipes i think for the mountains and the beers they drink in the region are very old recipes and for me they're not my style they're very very bitter lagers um that don't carry much flavor and uh it just seems to be an imbalance i understand that's what they drink and that's what they've probably grown up drinking but it's a style that you couldn't push outside of the region and i think they would struggle all many of the old school breweries will struggle to bring youth on board when youth have access to beers that aren't bitter Um, These lagers are so bitter that I I can't see them coming across to it. Maybe before when there was no competition, as a young guy growing up, you would get like VB back in the day, that's what you would get as beer and and you would learn to love it and and you deal with it from there. But um, yeah, it's interesting to view that from from the outside. And that said, there's there's some craft breweries nearby that I do know that they're further away um, and have worked with in the past and there's some really good things happening as well and really interesting things. How is stepping out of... When you operate a craft brewery in Australia with the excitement
0: and the noise of craft beer, and we call it the bubble, how has it been stepping out of that bubble a little bit and being in a town where you actually have to make a conscious effort to go looking for anything that vaguely resembles a craft beer?
1: Yeah, it's it's not too hard. I mean, for me, the... Interest straight away is in Weizen beer, I really enjoy wheat beers, so exploring those, there's a selection of those, there there is a bottle shop nearby that that probably doesn't stock craft beer but they stock a huge range of, you know, regional breweries from Germany, mainly. Weirish beer is strong in Austria, Um, so that's probably where I find myself. Um, In terms of weaning myself off, I'm probably not so good at weaning myself away from social media, that's sort of where I keep up to date, that's how I knew you were coming here. I'm not I'm not on Facebook very often, but I'm a bit of an Insta addict, so I'll scroll through Insta um, to see what's happening back at home, and and find out and see what's happening and follow links from from Instagram to to get the news newsletters from you and from other other industry sources as well. It's always keeping me up to date with things, so I don't feel too disconnected from what's happening in the news. Where I, I'm in Beechworth anyway, so. Um, that's how I would access all the information around what's happening, unless I went to Melbourne or Sydney or, or to another centre to see what's happening. So, but it, you know, I've, I've found things to do, I knew it was coming, so it hasn't been, an, hasn't been a hard transition. And what are you
0: observing having sort of come away from your little uh, mountain retreat, being down in uh, Nuremberg at, at the, the biggest beer uh, trade show in, in, in the world? What are you, what, what are you seeing as are the, are the trends here?
1: uh for me it's it's interesting i haven't been here before i've heard from the guys that there's a new new focus on craft at this at this trade show the trade show hasn't been on craft so much in the past but as we're in germany and crafts emerging in germany um some of the austrian guys i was talking to said growth in the larger sector is slow has slowed significantly so the manufacturers who are established are looking at at downsizing their systems to suit craft breweries so for them, it's really exciting in that the some of these bigger names that didn't play with small, let's say 20-heck brew houses are now offering it, and they're, they're becoming quite competitive in price, and, and it's making these brew systems that in the past they probably would have had to go to America or China for, they're able to to look and consider sourcing them from here. Um, but outside of that, just the the proper scale of things. I mean, we're, I consider ourselves as quite small in Australia, um, but then to see the, the scale of things and purchasing and and the brewing industry of germany here out in numbers to buy things and the, the manufacturers display i mentioned before they they have a 120 head bottling line on display in the in the expo that's it's crazy to think that they bought it here to show people you know normally you'd see a small modular it's a modular you part of 120 head filler, but there's 120 filling heads on the on the floor. That's that's blows my mind. So, yeah, just, just understanding that scale, it's it's nice and humbling to see, you know, we're at a grain Corp stand here, how small it is on the scale of things in the world of brewing.
0: Absolutely. crime Malt would be, I think they were the biggest stand at BrewCon this year. And, uh, you yeah, know, they, they've got as a very... far as grains go. Yeah. yeah, as far as grains go, they're
1: probably one of the smaller ones. So.
0: Which is amazing. But then... A, I, was, I said when I recorded the uh, Radio News with Prof this morning, just astounded at how many malting companies there are in Germany.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it, it is mind-blowing. And then also if you look at hop companies as well and uh, the Eastern Eastern European countries that are here representing with all their varietals that I haven't heard of before, um, you know, obviously American hops here as well, but, yeah, there's just so much more than you, you realise uh, is out there. I, I, have you tried any of the uh,
0: east, because oh, oh, there were countries that I had no clue uh, um, you know, grew
1: hops, but I guess it makes sense that they can based on where they're located. Yeah, but, and they probably have a strong history of brewing as well, so I've looked at, closely at the German hop varieties, just interested in doing something, I'm going uh, back to Australia for three weeks soon, like at the end of this week, so I've been looking at what German hops might be might be able to be used in a beer when I go back home, just to bring a bit of a story back to back to Beechworth. But I haven't got a, got across to see the the Eastern European hop varieties, and I, I know nothing about them. And it is quite hard unless they have a, have a beer on. It's hard to get that idea of what the rub and sniff will translate into into the beer, um, depending on what styles they're doing. But um, yeah, there, there is no shortage of opportunities to sample beer here, so um, I might head over the, this afternoon and see what they've got.
0: It, it was interesting. I was over, recorded a chat yesterday with the guys at Yakima Chief, and I'm actually astounded at the busiest stands as some of the American hop growers' stands that are pouring beer because there's obviously, I don't know whether it's brewers from around the world or from what uh, Ryan at YCH was saying, there's a lot of the younger German brewers are very keen to try fresh versions
1: of hopped American ales yeah definitely I, I saw that and, and trying to uh, say exactly the same identify who are the people here I think there's there's also general public have access here as well and once you get a ticket to come in the door those stands are, are giving beer out to sell their hops so as a as a punter it's like a free beer festival if you come in and um, look like you're you're here to do business you can uh, certainly sample a whole lot of beer there's there's beer fridges full of beer where you can help yourself to a range of, you know, fresh world-class beers from, from all over the globe. Um, yeah, so, but I can definitely see the interest. i found myself going to, to the Yakima Chief stand as well, mainly to look at, They had a few examples of um, beers brewed with some some newer varieties, some newer, newer experimental varieties. I'm always interested in, in seeing what those flavours are, so I can, I can see that as well. But I think it's also a, a good educational tool. Lots of the I don't want to speak too broadly because I haven't had that much German craft, but I, I just find the, the evolution that the American craft beer industry has had in bringing hot bitterness back into balance, sometimes hot flavor is, is over the top, um, there's a lot to be learnt for, for a new craft brewing industry. So I often find the IPAs I might have locally are just so bitter um, and, and that balance is missing and then they, they can actually see some really good examples that Yakima selected to, to show people, and, you know, that's a great tool to be able to access and to have that beer in the state. It should be um, fresh and, and celebrated, and then they can go back and, and have a look at how their beers compare.
0: Now, I, I don't think we ever caught up to have the chat, but I was in Germany for Oktoberfest uh, three years ago now, and I observed at that stage that there wasn't a lot of craft beer and that the German yeah. brewers I met were very uh, sneering. Is probably the, the yeah. most... Uh, uh, accurate way to describe what they saw as the, the hop-driven beers. And back then, you, uh, you you sent me notes to say we'll have to have a chat because there's some great craft breweries uh, going around. Um, we're heading up to Berlin at the end of this trip. Where should I be looking to uh, to, to check out? What should I be looking
1: you know at trying? Uh, I can't help you out in Berlin because I've not been there. So uh, I I would just say uh, head to Bath House and, and find someone there from Berlin because they will know for sure. Um, definitely the industry guys will, will have sorted out who's, who's who from the brewers but yeah my experience is definitely down south and, and into Austria as well so um, yeah and I, I, Germany really seems to still have a lot of that regionality so it's it's hard to find beer from everywhere you know in a region in Germany they even here they, there's craft beer available so and when I say craft it's so small new world breweries is probably the best way because there's plenty of small Breweries in Nuremberg, where they've been making traditional beers for a long time, and they're really great beers, to, you know, from my experience. Um, but yeah, there's there's room for those. But we ended up at a craft beer bar last night that had global craft beers, but I think that's quite rare. So a bar will will have craft beer, but generally that's going to be a local craft beer, not one from Berlin or whatever. So
0: I have to say I, I love what, yeah, hearing you sort of talk about the, the the regional craft beers. Um, you, know, you travel to a region and that's what the beers are stocked. And I went out to dinner last night and they had Tucker um, which is just one of the big, I think one of the biggest national. And you sort of feel a little bit disappointed that you're in this German uh, Stubbel uh, sort of eating dinner and they've just got one of the big, it's a little bit like walking in and only having Fosters on or VB. Yeah, yeah you obviously didn't do your research then. Um, I, I was looking for food, not beer. I just sort of uh, kind of presumed that there'd be something a little bit more interesting on
1: yeah, yeah, I think, but that, it's often the case. Um, I think that's anywhere in the world, you know, there, there's lots of competition to have tap space and beers and um, it doesn't matter where you are. They're, they're, if you go to, particularly if you go to the, the tourism center of that town, generally the, the area will be dominated by those global brands selling at the best price point and people with the property that, that's in that area get a good margin out of it. That, that's generally how it goes. And then for me, I find always on the fringes of, of those areas uh, the bars need a draw card and the draw card can be local beer um, so then people that you know are into that have to walk a little bit to get there so um, yeah last night there was four or five places that were suggested but there how however many people are uh, in in town for this uh, this expo everywhere was full so we managed to find somewhere but it was a uh, it was a hard ask, especially to find somewhere at a brewery there's lots of small breweries in the city but there was no no chance of getting in the door without a booking
0: well, that's why visiting an event like this I would tend to avoid all of the craft beer places because you know that the, you're not going to get the experience you would ordinarily, it's just kind of like the traveling roadshow experience where yeah. you, you, you get a sense of it but not the, the, the true experience. But uh, Actually, one of the things I was going to ask is the culture. You, you walk in by a cracking local Pilsner 500ml bottle for one euro. Um, that's got to be making it hard for craft brewers who are smaller use more ingredients much less efficient than even the, the the smaller regional breweries to try and compete when the perception is around I can get awesome beer at that sort of price
1: yeah definitely I, I think that's a massive barrier I even know when I when I go shopping in a town that does have some craft beer it's it's two to three times the price per bottle um, for a for a craft beer versus a it doesn't have to be a, a large producer, but a regional brewery as well. So uh, I can't speak from experience here, but it, but it w- must be a barrier. But that said, the, the craft breweries that are here are, are, are popular and doing well. And maybe it comes back to people saying, well, I'm going to spend uh, three, 3.80 or 4 euros on a beer, but I'm only having two beers, so it doesn't matter. You know, there, There's definitely a market for it as well. So... I I would say that's that's probably the younger market, the the older market. If you're used to paying between one and two euros for a beer, one euro is bloody cheap. I didn't see a beer for one euro unless you're sitting out the front of the supermarket drinking it on the street, but uh, in a restaurant, one euro is uh, pretty good. I paid three eighty for a coffee this morning, so.
0: Oh, that was in a bottle shop. So yeah, sort just grabbing a bottle to take home, but it's a pretty good price.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and and like the rest of the world, the the beer market isn't growing. Really at all? So the the pressures on price. I've spoken to some local Austrian guys that are setting up a brewery, and uh, they own some hotels and bars, and they were talking about the price they pay for beer um, by the keg for their for their bars, and and I seriously questioned them on how they get, they can't make beer that cheap. So you know why? How are you going to deal with selling your beer from your brewery when you can you know you can get it at that price, which is ridiculous. So. Um, I was just encouraging them to differentiate their beers from, from the market because it seemed like their plan was to make beer, beer styles that are readily available and for me, I, I couldn't quite grasp how that would work financially if, if, it's, if it's just another good example of that beer at double the price, why, why, do, why am I going to buy it other than it's local and regional?
0: Well, Ben, I know you've got a you, you're in the market for a canning line, amongst other things. We're about to see uh, Beechworth Pale Ale in Cairns for the first time.
1: Yes, uh, big step for us. Beechworth Pale Ale in Cairns. Beechworth Pale Ale is sort of what we hope we're known for at Bridge Road Brewers. It's it's most of what we do, and uh, it's probably something we're most proud of. Um, we're always pushing the barrow of Beechworth Pale Ale. So uh, mid December we will be. We've done some canning runs with uh, mobile canning lines, and we're Doing our first ever Beechworth Pale Ale can run with a mobile line, um, so that'll be that'll be really exciting for for ourselves and hopefully for Beechworth Pale Ale lovers as well. If they if they like the can format, um, that'll be good. Uh, and yeah, here to to basically here at the expo to find a, a canning line that suits our needs and our budget, uh, which is which is a hard ask, getting both things covered. But yeah, the, um, definitely exciting news for for back home and the brewery and and Beechworth Parallel lovers. Well
0: mate, wonderful to catch up at Brow of all places and uh, uh, being on assignment internationally and catch up with a a brewer such as who I always enjoyed uh, having a conversation with. So thank you for joining us on Beers of Conversation. Cool, thanks for having me. And that was Ben Krause. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at All letters received will receive a Bruise News bottle opener. And thanks to our good friends at Beer Cartel, the Letter of the Week will receive a mixed six-pack of Australian craft beer. When Brews News cast and crew are buying online, we buy at Beer Cartel. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because beer is a conversation and we look forward to another conversation next week.